show that never ends. I'm glad you could attend. Come inside. Come inside. Come inside. Right now. You are listening to Let's Talk Hemp and the 422. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside, come inside. You are listening to Season 3, Episode 1 of Let's Talk Hemp and the 422, where every day is Earth Day. I am your co-host, Morris Beagle, here with my brother in hemp spirit, Rick Trojan. How are you doing today, my friend? Good, brother. Good. Just under a little, uh, little QT, as I just call it, a little quarantine for the, uh, the COVID corona panicademic or whatever you want to call it but uh yeah it's good yeah we're kind of locked up in our own little parts of the world now not gathering any place with more than 10 people i wonder how they determined that 10 was the number you know what i mean like I, that doesn't really like at 11 at 11 which friend would you be like you know what paul like you're you're one too many you gotta go i don't know i think that they should have put it at 11 I think they should have too. I mean, we all, I guess we, if they put it to 11, we all have that 12th friend that's like, you like to hang out with it, but sometimes they're just too much. Yeah. I don't know. So, somebody came up with the number 10, just like somebody came up with 0.3% THC to define it as hemp. Yeah. I wonder if it's the same, uh, the same office of the government. Who knows? The office of arbitrary numbers. So here we are, season three. And we're starting off in a kind of a different space that we did in season two, since the entire world has seemed to have been put on hold the last couple of weeks. Yeah, we uh, we have we've actually had a pretty epic first quarter, though, you know, trying to get what we were calling the road to NOCO with uh, the tours we were going. We went out to California and did the World Ag Expo, which was absolutely incredible. Got to see how the other side of agriculture, big ag, right? Lots of uh, machinery fertilizer, pesticides, lots of international people. We had a whole hemp pavilion and hemp village actually there. Thanks to High Low Seeds and Christian. Christian Gray did a great job getting that together. What'd you think of that event, Mo? Thought it was a great event for the first real presence at the World Ag Expo. And they had the Hemp Innovation Challenge that we were glad to be part of and be a sponsor of and got to be a judge and see some of the cool hemp innovations that got submitted. I think there was like 64 submissions from, I don't know, 15 different countries and five different continents. And we had four finalists that got to pitch to us. And anyway, there was a great representation from the hemp community and a great response from the ag community. We were like the whole big buzz of the event. We were, they were all talking about cannabis and, hemp and everything when they were walking by and it was interesting though i thought what i found peculiar about the world this is a the literally the agricultural expo of the world like it's, it's amazing it's huge it's been going for 50 years or so we had two vegetarians on the bus and they couldn't find anything to eat at the whole expo i mean this expo is huge it's you know i don't even know like maybe 100 acres or something it's huge but they couldn't find there was tri-tip sandwiches there was ribeye sandwiches but there was no vegetarian options for the crew. So I thought that was interesting at an agricultural expo. Well, they did have like French fries, didn't they? C- correct. I mean, I, I guess I sit corrected, but they had French fries, but no real like salad or other, agri- you know what I mean? Other vegetarian or vegetables, right? As readily available, but other than the onions on your sandwich. So, but I thought it was interesting. 
A great event, though. We took uh, the bus from there, and um, we went to you. You went up to Fresno, I think, and I ended up going out to the Hemp Cultural Expo down in San Diego, which was absolutely fantastic. They did a great job putting that on. Um, actually, saw Mo a tattoo, a number eleven tattoo, on someone's back that I had when I mentioned we were going to eleven. So that was pretty fantastic. Great group, and we actually it was on the old military base, the old Liberty Park in San Diego, and we were able to put hemp plants in the old the old artillery guns, which was pretty cool. Showing the juxtaposition of life and death. Then we hit yeah. uh, what Native Green Symposium and got to talk to a lot of the tribal leaders there. Levon and Nikki did a great job of putting that on. All of that was on what I was we were calling the road to Nihoko, which was just supposed to happen here when this drops next week on the 26th, 27th, 28th. But uh, that road to Nihoko just got a little bit longer. I'm going to call it some government-funded development, uh, like the Matrix Highway kind of a little bit longer of a road to get there but we're going to be the same place same location in august and we'll talk about that a little bit later but so the road to noco just just got a little bit longer what do you think about that well we were in california when the wave really started to happen we had all flown out to uh anaheim for expo west and you had flown in from birmingham because you went out to the hemp and cbd expo with tommy and the boys again how was that that was good. It was really good. It was a good turnout. I mean, not as much attendance. They were in a, a larger location. I think there were a lot of shows. It was right next to the National Wedding Show, which was kind of amazing. And uh, it was it was full. It was it was packed. There was a lot of good. I, I ran their business stage. There was a lot of good speakers, and I met some new new folks like Oliver, who we're we'll hear today on the on the um, podcast. So it was good, and I'm looking forward to they they canceled their their fall one, and they're just going to have another one next spring. So they're focusing everything on next year. Well, that makes sense. It's hard yeah. to do two shows in the same location six months apart, just like that. One show is typically enough at this point. And with everything going on in the world today, they're just better off to focus their resources on 2021. Yeah, I mean, well, the reality is there's just too many damn cannabis shows. I mean, there's one or two or three every week. So it's just that that wasn't going to be sustainable. And then hopefully people will realize with the reaction to uh, what's happening now that they can focus on doing a, a good one rather than four or five smaller ones. Exactly. Well, like I was saying, we were out in California in Anaheim at the Expo West show. You were out there, Kate, Janelle, David, Josh. I mean, a whole bunch of hemp folks were out there. And Monday afternoon, they pulled the plug and said, hey, we're going to postpone this thing. And and that's when reality started to set in is like, what the hell's going on here? And as the week transpired watching south by southwest who was holding out against canceling the show and seeing what aeg and and live nation and others were doing and some people were canceling but when south by southwest decided to pull the plug it was like you know what we better convene and take a look at all of our options and see what's going to go on here and fortunately we got to look at things over march 7th and 8th and talk to our venue national western complex and the hotels and and decided to make the move to reschedule the event and got some dates at the beginning of august on the august 6th 7th and 8th and and made a clean transfer of the show but holy smokes that week was just so surreal and it's not even very long ago it's like a few days ago yeah it was uh it was definitely uh, it was uh hopefully the last time I'll experience anything like that in my life, it was definitely interesting having it, having such a big show canceled 18 hours before we were supposed to go on stage, which was, which was wild. But, you know, I think, I think obviously 
making the right decision for NOCO, it wouldn't have been able to happen, right? We would have had to cancel it today anyways. Uh, Governor Polis has put a state of emergency on Colorado. This hysteria, right, is uh, is for real. So uh, I'm not even going to call it a reaction to corona. I'm just going to – or a, a, a virus issue, but it's a, the hysteria around it is going to be a lot more damaging than whatever the health issues are that we're really concerned with based on the numbers that I've heard. But in the meantime, some stuff has happened. The FDA and the USDA have come out and spoken a little bit about some hemp. So we'll give – audience kind of an overview before we introduce our speaker for the day, Paul Benheim. But the USDA actually admitted that the DEA was too involved with the writing of the rules for the interim final rule. And they actually relaxed their DEA lab requirement for testing of the 2020 harvest. So prior to this, all labs that tested hemp, industrial hemp, had to be DEA registered. And now that that requirement is not going to be enforced for the 2020 year. There was just going to be too much production and not enough facilities to test. So that was a good move by the USDA. And then the FDA recently, um, oh, I know we talked about this a bit. They created a report that asked for about $5 million in funding, which is mainly for enforcement for people making medical claims and such. But they are claiming that CBD is not legal in food and CBD is not legal as a dietary supplement. It's legal as, uh, as an, a drug, right? Epidiolex. But they need, they said they're open to need to study and understand the safety more for CBD in both dietary supplements and food. Uh, which is interesting because CBD has been, all cannabinoids really have been consumed from an edible standpoint, from an ingestion standpoint for a long time. I mean, Eli Lilly had a, a cannabis tincture in the 1870s, right? And all the way into, you know, even now they're using cannabinoids, right, as, as drugs. So, um, and it's also been on hemp seed oil. In fact, the HIA sued the DEA years ago because the DEA was claiming that trace amounts of THC that got into the hemp seed oil made hemp seed oil an illegal drug. Of course, it's not. And so we sued them as the HIN. We won that it was hemp seed oil was allowed to be a food. And now it's, as you know, generally recognized as safe along with hemp protein. So some good steps forward, some good, you know, at least lines in the sand that we can start making some moves um, with um, trying to help get this, you know, hemp extract in general, CBD, CBNs, all the cannabinoids as a food because we've been eating it for a while. So that's really the stance of, I think, where it should be. I mean, we've been eating this for at least the five or, last five or six years with no adverse reports, right? Well, I'm we've been of. eating cannabis for centuries and millennia, and not just the seeds. The flowers have been consumed as well. So it's it's nothing new. It's nothing that should yeah. ever be illegal. It's a, it's a nutrient that our bodies really enjoy. I mean, that's the yeah. bottom line. Yeah, not only enjoy, but have a system created to an endocannabinoid system created specifically for the cannabinoids from nature, right? So we have a part of our system, much akin to central nervous, that's that runs our body that requires cannabinoids, right? And if we can get them from nature, it's a better solution. So interesting, but, you know, we just finished one fight for legality and now the rest of the fight for, you know, mainstream and understood by people that uh, natural cannabinoids are safe and healthy um, is the next, you know, the next step down the path. Down the road to NOCO. Down the road to NOCO and NOCO will happen. But in the meantime, we're going to get our podcast rolling here. We'll bring up Paul Benham for our first interview. And it's great to always talk to Paul. Paul's definitely one of the top guys in the world when it comes to being a hemp entrepreneur and hemp pioneer. He's been in the game for a long time and and really has covered the spectrum from the seed side to the flower side and to the stock side. He is a whole plant man, and we're happy to have Paul on the show. Coming up next. 
NOCO Hemp Expo would like to announce the NOCO Hemp Expo Earth Week Virtual Conference and Trade Show, happening online beginning on April 22nd, the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. Join dozens of hemp industry and earth advocating thought leaders sharing their insight on what lies ahead for the remainder of 2020 and moving into 2021. More information available at nocohempexpo.com. Welcome back to Let's Talk Hemp in the 422 Season 3, Episode 1 with our guest Paul Benham from the Hemp Plastic Company and several other endeavors. Welcome to the show, Paul. Good day there, Mark. What time is it there? Hey, man, what, it's 11 o'clock there in Australia? It is 11 o'clock in the morning. I should be far more awake than <laughs> um, than, than that response time. But yes, it is. First thing in the morning, it's afternoon for you guys, I believe. Yep, it's we're uh, in the midst of, uh, midst of the evening, but I uh, want to get into what you're doing with the Hemp Plastic Company. First of all, as, as our audience I'm sure knows, but we'll just let them know you founded Hemp Foods Australia, also founded Elixinol, which has... Uh, those dietary supplements in the cannabinoid extract space. But now you're getting after what uh, you and I have talked about as one of your passions, hemp plastic. And so you started the hemp plastic company. So tell us about that. Sure. Happy to do that. The hemp plastic company has a vision to establish global trade in hemp plastics by using hemp as an alternative to fossil fuels. And uh, we intend to do that by becoming a global leader in hemp bioplastics. So, I guess it all started for me when I was traveling around the Himalayas, particularly a couple of decades ago, when I thought that these pristine mountains were perfect, idealistic, and rather utopian, in fact. Little to my disappointment was the fact that it wasn't as beautiful as I see it seemed, and that the locals had actually just hidden the rubbish that they were using, rather than keep them in the tourist zones where you would walk around these beautiful mountains they actually took all the plastic waste and dumped it over into a valley most people didn't see the extra sad thing was that this valley was uphill to most of the other villages in town and seeing the sides of all of these plastic wastes from not only uh, visitors who are using plastic water bottles plastic bags plastic packaging but of course all the locals as well who had incorporated all these different cheap plastic products into their daily use. And it, it automatically came to me that this was not appropriate and that there must be a better solution. This was a dream of mine for many years until after the success of uh, my first hemp food company in the United Kingdom, I came across a friend who after knowing him for a while, talked to me a lot about his work with uh, the University of Wales in the United Kingdom, in particularly the biocomposite unit of that university. And he um, said with me, the, and asked me a question really, do you ever want to make hemp bioplastics? And I said, wow, that's a great idea, but um, I believe, you know, that bio plastics and the chemical corporations that's big business and requires tens of millions of dollars to enter and he said well it does unless you know the right people and i am the right person with friends with these people who have been doing this for, for decades and haven't used hemp yet would you like to do that it won't cost you much so i agreed and um, ultimately we produced the first hemp plastic product since henry ford which was a frisbee made of hemp 
based polypropylene blend. It was a very exciting first step, but knowing that it could be done wasn't the best product uh, we've ever made from hemp plastics, that's for sure. But what was wrong with it? What were, what were some of the challenges well, of that? Learned, were... Yeah, there's a good question. We learned a couple of things. One is how much you can mix with polypropylene in, in terms of hemp, i.e. how many fossil fuel percentages you can take away um, and how many you can't. So how little you can go, how much you can go and how that starts to affect the properties of that plastic. And uh, we also noted that the fibers through regular injection molding processes burn because of the high temperatures um, through most of those processes. And that burn smell stays with that plastic for a long time. So a lot of our first plastics were, you know, had these like dark parts in it, which was basically burnt fiber that you can probably still smell to this day. It was so strong. So, you know, it just permeates the, the plastic. That smell permeate just permeates. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what was so that sweet we, spot? Where, where did you guys end up? What, what percentages are you finding optimal for, for the polypropylene? Well, in, after a number of um, trials where I started to bring in consultants to, to get a little more technical, we, we ended up at about a 25 to 30% range of, of hemp, which is what we could uh, move into those biocomposites. And that is still a range that we, we work around that today. Um, not too dissimilar in a number of the blends that we use to get the best mechanical properties. But there's, you know, there, again, there's a whole bunch of tricks around it. And it's probably important to, to note, and I didn't know much about plastics in these days, so I'm guessing people listening don't know as much as I probably do today. Uh, one of those things is that there's thousands of different types of plastics, literally thousands. And saying, you know, what blend is best for, for hemp plastics? Well, it depends on the particular blend that you're using, why you're using it, what the end product is and what the end goal is. So, you know, we, we've learned, you know, how to really blend different hemp plastics for different uses these days so that we can make a big dent in the fossil fuel based plastic pollution that is affecting every continent on, on this on this planet. But those those products that I made those in those days were quite expensive to make, about three or four times the price of regular plastics. And at that time, one of the products I was aiming to commercialize in my, my spare time, we'll say, um, was a hemp C plastic CD case. Little did I know that was at the beginning of the um, the end of the CD era, era when we moved to digital music. So that means Perfect timing. to pay a cent, then a cent more for any of their plastic products. Yeah, what's funny about that is in my very first slideshow presentation uh, that I did for a hemp thing, one of the things that drove me into the the hemp industry was the whole hemp plastic and and the, pla the the CD jewel case coming from the music industry. I can't tell you how many CD jewel cases we put into the landfills. It's ridiculous, and I just there was so much guilt there. That's that's one of the reasons that I that I got into this industry was the guilt that I felt for all the shit that I've thrown into the landfills, particularly CD cases. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. oh, I understand. Well, there was so they're saying um, there's 350 million tons of plastic was made in 2020, right? 360 mm -hmm. million they're expecting in 2021, which means. By 2022, we'll have over a billion metric tons of plastic created, right? It's not going away mm -hmm. unless we start putting non-petroleum right, additives to to that. So tell us a little bit, uh, Paul, about what else you guys do, polypropylene, ethylene, ABS, and PLA, which is 100% bio-based, right? Your PLA? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, that's some of the different products um, that, that we produce today. 
and we can produce a lot more. But um, the hemp propylene, you know, is probably the most popular product that we produce right now. It's great for food service, packaging, car parts. It's the main injection molded material that's used um, by people. So when most people talk about plastics, they generally mean polypropylene. So our hemp polypropylene or hemp propylene, as we like to call it, is a replacement for those kind of products. We also have hemp ethylene, in which we can make films from and also containers from. So when I say films, we haven't yet managed to make super thin films. So for thin plastic bags or thin food packaging, we are working on that as we speak. But we have made relatively thicker films. So more like plastic film mattings that you see out there in, used industrially. So we're, we've got a few you know, great graded products um, that we've helped produce from that. Hemp ABS, that's the kind of product used for more like toys, you know, well-known things made from ABS or Lego, I guess. We've, mm-hmm. we've actually made some hemp brackets recently. So brackets meaning, you know, like what makes up a trade show stand, for example. So we literally really? intend to make a hemp trade show stand made out of hemp. So that's um, one of the, the new things that we've recently produced for a client or helped a client and produce, I should say. Those tubes are ABS now? The, those stands yeah, are ABS? Yeah, okay. yeah, they are. Yep. Hemp, hemp ABS and their regular ABS usually. So, so that's exciting to see with our hemp PLA that the PLA is, is used for more for injection molding also and 3D printing. So again, you know, it's a very interesting product. There is a lot of demand for PLA and, and other similar materials right now. And there's actually a lack of supply in the world for those other raw materials. So it's very hard for us to actually produce hemp PLA, mainly because we don't have the quantities that our customers are, are looking at and to supply them with. So it's a really interesting market, this hemp bioplastics market. I mean, I don't know if you, you're aware, but it's expected to reach about $68 billion in 2024. And that's just bioplastics, Bio, not, not plastics. Plastics is way bigger than that, many trillions. But just bioplastics is worth $68 billion in the next few years, a couple of years. Wow. Um, and um, yeah, it's grow, growing very rapidly. So thankfully, people are waking up, realizing that, yeah, you know, turning that guilt into action and knowing that there are alternatives for everything. So we are looking to, you know, start making a change in the different amounts of plastics being used. You know, it was only five years ago, there was, you know, 300 million tons of plastics being used, but most of it's for packaging as well. So most of it mm-hmm. is really an interesting market that we probably don't need. The next most biggest use of plastics is building and construction. And then it comes down to textiles and, and, and it keeps going down from there. So it's really interesting, the things that we, we can test and, and make. We've made cutlery and bowls and plates and some of those things that we had hoped to bring to NOCO recently and um, that we will bring to the next NOCO physically when it, when it comes to show people what some of our clients are producing out of our, our plastics, which is really exciting. And let's not forget, we're not just replacing some of the, the petrochemicals with um, hemp, but we're actually storing the CO2 because hemp, obviously, and most people know that hemp absorbs a lot of CO2 in a short amount of time. By putting it into into natural plastics, we're actually storing a lot of that CO2. So that's becoming a, a natural marketing opportunity for our clients. And also, of course, a way for us to use the significant surplus biomass coming in the market right now from the oversupply in different industries. We've learned how to use the waste materials 
from all parts of the hemp and cannabis industries and we, we can bring we, each of them bring their own properties that we can turn into these kind of bioplastics that have a gorgeous earthy appearance and they look really great as well yeah i was going to say with the the waste materials like stalks and stems and what about post extracted flour are you using some of that stuff too or not yep we can use we can use stalks stems post extracted flour we can use post extract post food waste products from hemp we we can use everything we've actually got a number of patents um we've appending right now for a number of our i guess technologies that we've been developing over the last few years and we're also intending to to buy the remaining patents that we think are appropriate in our field um but right now um we are trying to use up the capacity that we've created in compounding which is about 30 million pounds that we can compound today in the US of hemp bioplastics specifically so that's a good start for us that we're we're in that's our first goal that we're aiming towards as, as soon as possible and we've got a number of significant opportunities sadly i can't talk specific names most of the large companies well, all of the large companies actually that we're working with all don't want to us to talk about their products until they do because they want to be using it and communicate all the great things that they're doing but they're all multinational household names um that that most people would be aware of and will be very happy when they start using hemp bioplastics so these these you know opportunities for us take 6 to 18 months to come you know to get to even a test products that are, that are get to get approved so it takes quite a long time it's a very long opportunity pipeline but we're far advanced in many of those right now we have a, you know our effective r&d process has been developed um, for new materials um, we've got a team of experts around the country and we're signing up multiple sales reps and distributors and wholesalers nationwide in the US predominantly which is where we're mainly focused and we're looking to expand that now into Europe where we also have a, a strong IP protection so most of the com- companies you know just to be clear we we don't actually sell the products that I mentioned earlier we sell the raw materials for injection molders for blow molders for mm-hmm. other types of molding companies who produce those products so a small customer for us is someone who'll buy like you know maybe 50,000 pounds of of hemp bioplastics a larger customer is you know a few hundred million pounds of of bioplastics and there's people in between of course so that's where we've decided to focus on uh, rather than focusing on making the products so we we feel that that's the way we're going to make the biggest difference in the world um, which is very very scalable as well from that upwards and and it makes sense i mean you're feeding the supply chain with 25 percent less 25 to 30 percent less right petrochemicals but let's go back to something you said a bit ago you were talking about in pla specifically you said there's a lack of supply is that and what we hear a lot obviously on the cbd side right of the industry is there's oversupply right oversupply prices have dropped when you say lack of supply with pla is that PLA in general, is that lack of access to hemp or you guys to process? What does that mean, lack of Can you elaborate on that yeah, a little no, bit? We, we have plenty of hemp. We have no lack of hemp, that's for sure, right now. That is, that is quite abundant everywhere today. What, it is PLA in general in the whole bioplastics industry. PLA is overbought. I, most of the large multinationals have, have put forward contracts for the large quantities of PLA. I mean, we can buy PLA, but only in small quantities. When we want to buy 50 million pounds from somebody, we literally cannot get it. So 
um, what we're doing and part of our company's mission, and just to be clear, you know, exchanging 25% hemp for regular plastics is only a very small step to my, my goal. My goal is 100% bioplastics in all of our products. And mm-hmm. I truly believe that is possible. We've, we've done it on a very small scale. And we're now looking and investing in ways to really upscale that. So things, these things are relatively, relatively simple to do on a small scale, but to ensure that they can be done at 100 million pounds plus and to be done most importantly, cost effectively is the key mm. and the strength of our team. We have done modeling and we are quite confident that we will get to a stage where we can produce 100% bio-based hemp plastics cheaper than petrochemicals. So not the same, not just a little bit more, but cheaper than. Now, to get there, it will take some time, and we need early adopters today, people to take our products in in the best way that we can produce them, which is slightly more expensive than regular bioplastics, but it's not multiple times at least. We are, are, you know, in in fact, our prices are comparable and often cheaper than bioplastics today. They're just not cheaper than regular plastics today. And that is where hemp can can get to. So the potential is really exciting for this industry to grow into, as I said, a multi-billion dollar industry. And it's something we've been working on for decades, you know, part-time. But since 2018, we have really stepped that up and we've got an expert team from the the plastics industry and and some really great management to support the growth of the hemp plastic company. No, I think that's great. And before before we switch over to other questions here, what what how long do you think that's going to take to get 100% bio based or hemp based plastic? Is that five years um, out, ten years out? What's your what's your expectation? It's a good question, and um, the answer, in my experience, is is affected quite significantly by how much resources and how much funds are put behind the project. So, which is why we've decided to start selling products today, and we have, you know, a standard for for product range that we can start selling. Uh, we have more than strong interest, or say, for multinationals. We've just got to turn that into revenue, which we expect to do this year. So, depending on how successful and, and what the take up after that is, so once people realise who who is getting involved with hemp plastics today, how many people follow will determine our revenue, which will determine how much funds we have to put into our real mission, which is to produce hemp, fully hemp bio-based plastic. So I don't know, it could be just a few years, three three to five years away, but it could be five to 10 years away, depending on the complexities of such a large project. And and it is not a small project to to, to get to that stage, but it is also, you know, would, would potentially change the way that we use materials in the world. So, you know, I've been very excited. I've been involved with 100% hemp plastics for five or six years full time in my career. And I've seen the the, the challenges with, with those kind of materials, which are absolutely phenomenal materials, but making them commercially viable at a large scale is the key. So um, the hemp plastic company has been set up with that very much in mind. We're very much focused on quantity first and with that quantity we we know that we can backfill the ecological side to make it absolutely ideal and in the meantime what we are doing is we are replacing a significant amount of petrochemicals with hemp raw materials so um let's move on to you just uh 
been focused on Hemp Plastic Company right before that. You were focused on building Elixinol, which uh, went public last year, 2018, correct? Yep. The end of 2018? Correct. Correct. Yeah. Tell um, us, just give us a little update on where they're at and how things went since 2018 till uh, till now. Sure. So Elixinol, again, has been a, a company that I've been working with and co-founded um, about five years ago, really, is, is one of my bigger babies quite grown up you know just over two years ago um, we did an ipo on the asx and now also listed on the otcqx and elixinol global is now that a global company producing the high quality hemp cannabinoids we are predominantly based in the us based in westminster colorado um, in between boulder and denver and uh, we produce products throughout north america for many countries around the world and predominantly Europe outside of, of, of North America now. So again, I was as a founder, I was the CEO until about a year ago and I'm now stepped back to the director role only. So I, am, I continue to be a director um, for the public company um, to ensure that I can support it through its vision and, and which continues to be to get the highest quality hemp products to as many people as possible. So I guess you know what, what's changed over the last two years. Well, it, you know it's grown. It's it's. I mean the, the cannabis industry and the cannabis markets have changed rapidly for numerous reasons over the last couple of years. We listed at a hundred million dollar market cap. I grew the company to about a, nearly a six hundred million market dollar cap, and um, we have reduced like most other companies, and you know in the market correction, and of course the the coronavirus correction. That is happening all over the world, but that doesn't, in my opinion, really change the value proposition that Elixinol has to offer, and all of the experience it has from decades of work. And I'm very excited about the future for Elixinol. We're about to officially launch a new range of products very shortly, and maybe by the time you're listening to this, they will all be launched. A new range of, of capsules with very specific intent and purpose. You know, stress product, a stress less product, a happy belly product, a turmeric based product, a balanced product, a sleeping product, um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, as well as a new um, skincare range also coming soon um, based on Elixinol's high quality CBD, as well as sports gels and, and, and the like. So these are products that have been formulated with a great team of experts, and I'm very excited to see come into the world and there's a lot more innovation expected to come later on in this year but again as a public company can't talk too much about that now the, the, i think your question was well you know about change and again the biggest change at least from my perspective is that, that i step back from running the company and becoming a ceo and that that is that process is, is not been easy i'll be honest um but now i feel like i'm, I'm past that now in terms of where I really get to offer the best of myself to the company. Why I did that was uh, for a number of reasons, but predominantly it was uh, due to the fact that, I guess, you know, studying business and studying how businesses grow, I guess some founders stay as CEO and through, through the company for a long time, but most people with this kind of startup mentality and the innovation mentality that I, I personally have and feel that I'm in my best space with, uh, realize that there are better people to do the day-to-day -day kind of business, and particularly around compliance that, that is required for a, a CEO of a public company. 
So it's mm-hmm. been exciting for me to put others who are experts at their field um, in different places within the company, and I continue to, to watch that and support the company to, again, reach its goal, which is to get as many hemp quality, high-quality hemp products to as many people as possible. And that is happening and in its own particular way, and it also now allows me to continue to do that for not only the cannabinoid market, but as as just talked about, in the hemp bioplastics market as well. Mm-hmm. Well, it's crazy. I was in London at the Hemp CBD Expo last week or two weeks right before Corona broke, and um sitting in my hotel room getting ready for the fight the next morning, and there was a whole Elixinol channel. And it had uh, your British your British sales up there talking about it. It was just a channel just touting the different products. It was pretty cool to see that. So congrats yeah. on, on that and, and what you're doing with the Hemp Plastic Company. Thanks. Yeah. What else you got on the plate? You're always you're doing a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. So what else? What other endeavors do you have? Like you, well, you need any more, but I know you're doing others. So what else you got going on? <laughs> well, I'm I'm trying to find a more balance to my life at the moment and get and remind myself about all the reasons I got into this, which is health, sustainability. But they, these are all aspects to that. You know, the success of Elixir and the Hemp Plastic Company is all related to to what I believe is sustainability on on a bigger picture. What am I doing else with my time? I've kind of half agreed. I haven't haven't started or done anything yet, but to help a, a local group um, actually in Australia who came to me wanting some assistance to help build with hemp in remote indigenous communities of Australia. So that means like really out in the outback where there's nothing else there. And um, they've said, hey, you know, can we can we build with hemp? I said, absolutely. You can grow hemp and you can turn it into high quality building materials. So I'm, I've decided to give my time for that completely, you know, not not for profit. And, and I just wanted to do something that, that gives back and especially yeah. learning that, you know, there's some really great hemp building technologies out there. There's, there's some basic ones. There's some you know, have been around for a long time, but I think there's some really amazing technologies. So I want to support them. And I guess, you know, there is always a side that assists me personally, and that is to actually have that experience in seeing the best quality hemp building materials being used and where I can turn that into design of my own um, hemp house, uh, which is happening now uh, with some sacred geometry architects. Uh, that I would like to use some of these um, fantastic um, you know, these technologies with. So maybe at the next NOCO, I'll come and show some of those 3D drawings and designs of, of what I intend to build with hemp. I don't think anything um, has like this has existed before. So I'm really excited to show that. That's yeah, exciting. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm not getting involved with hemp toilet paper at the moment, but you never <laughs> know, with times changing. Could Huge demand. I think the price of hemp toilet paper just increased. So there might be it might be a sustainable model at this point, as long as there's corona. Somebody's going to be making hemp toilet paper before we know it on a big scale. Mm-hmm. Well, I've seen, seen some hemp masks being being made in Nepal recently, and I, yeah. I thought that was very in, ingenious of them. And um, yeah, I think that's great. So, yeah. If you're going to wear a mask that doesn't work, you might as well be comfortable in hemp. That's what I always say. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole bunch of people talking about hemp masks these days. We talked about it back mm-hmm. in Mexico when this thing first broke. It's like, hey, we should have some hemp masks when this thing really takes off, and now it's taken off. How about that? Could have should have. Billion-dollar idea, Mo. Down the drain with <laughs> Corona. Exactly. Yeah. Pun intended. Paul, what are you most thankful for in the industry right now? 
I'm thankful for this plant that is made up of so many helpful parts, for the roots reminding us to our connection to the earth, for the long, strong stem allowing us to weave our magic within the world, the inner core reminding us to keep light and fill ourselves, the magical leaves with its odd number and radiant energy, well-known, the full, juicy, sticky flowers covered with a concoction of nature's way of saying, I love you and love, but not least, the seeds oiling our vehicles with super nutrition that builds our bodies so we may fuel our future working in harmony with cannabis. Bang. That was by far the best one we've had so far. Very uh, poetic, brother. I like it. Next question. So, Paul, what do you see as the largest challenge facing the hemp industry right now? Again, um, not just our industry, but the largest challenge in general and facing our industry is greed. It shows up in our industry in lack of quality, lack of systems, and general lack of heart. If we can get over that in ourselves, in our everyday small changes, decisions that we make, then I think we'll be able to move forward. Awesome. Paul, what, uh, what is your favorite hemp product over the last decades you've been around the world? What's your favorite hemp product? Mm. Is it Elixinol's new capsules for happy belly, less stress, promoting antioxidant and supporting healthy sleep? Or could it be the hemp plastic company's new hemp ABS blend for so many uses? Or the new hemp building technologies I'm designing houses with? Or the sheets I sleep in? Or the clothes I wear? Or so many options with hemp so everything is your favorite <laughs> yes that's correct <laughs> good good answer uh, paul's response was much better with, than everything for sure yeah <laughs> and do you have any uh thoughts for us on let's talk hemp in the 422 well let's talk hemp allows us to remotely learn about all the uses of hemp and discuss this amazing plant without having to wash our hands and no toilet paper needed. <laughs> Amen. Love it. Love it. Oh, that's awesome. Appreciate this, man. Appreciate everything you've been doing in the industry. And um, I'm super excited to uh, to hear the update on the Hemp Plastic Company and what you got going there. And um, you're really making an impact towards sustainability in a lot of different ways. So we really appreciate it, man. Yeah, thanks, Paul. And uh, like I mentioned before, on the before we hopped on here, we're looking to have uh, NOCO Earth Week come Earth Day, end of April, virtual conference and trade show. And love to have you on there. Love to be there. All right. Thanks for checking in with us here, calling across uh, the other part of the world. No worries, mate. Have a good day. We'll catch you later. <laughs> Cheers. Wow, that was incredible. A billion tons of plastic being thrown away by the end of 2021 is just. It, I can't even fathom that. And to be able to have at least Paul and some of the other folks in here taking hopefully at least 25% of that and making it hemp is a big, big step in the right direction, right? Sure. There's a long ways to go in replacing petroleum plastics. And I don't think most people who are hemp advocates and activists and supporters that share memes on Facebook about hemp plastic can replace petroleum plastic and it can happen like overnight. 
which is certainly not the case. It's going to take a long time to to make a dent in this, and it's not only going to be hemp. There's going to be other bio-based materials, and we just got to continue to chip away at the stone, and if it's 20, 25, 30% at a time, that's certainly better than nothing. Yeah, and I, th- and I think the beauty of what they're doing, right, is that they're, they're allowing current manufacturing processes to include their their pellets, right, their raw material, right? So they don't have to change any manufacturing processes in order to still have a positive impact from a, a carbon footprint standpoint. And I think that's, that's really important as far as getting the market and getting revenue in, right? And so if they can do 40 million, uh, their capacity is 40 million, 40 million pounds of plastic this year, which is incredible. So that's 10 million pounds of plastic of hemp plastic, which is incredible. It is. So and Paul, than- Paul, I mean, we've, we've had Paul, I think we've been on the show before, but we, we met him in Nepal. We met him up in Greece and that's when we had the whole Jesus thing. When we got, uh, we got asked to leave the Acropolis and then was it the Acropolis? Yes. Acropolis. And then uh, did some, did some uh, film recording there when, uh, where St. Peter spoke on the, on the, I guess the rock overlooking the, the city. Uh, and then we saw, you know, he was great in Nepal and he came been to NOCO a couple of times and he's really been a pioneer in this space for so long. What he did with Lixanol and, and, you know, taking it public and then stepping back and moving on to the hemp plastic is just, I mean, he's, he's, he's living the dream and actually making a real impact. And so appreciate uh, his, his mentorship and his leadership in the, in the, in the space. I'll second that Paul's been a, a great representative and evangelist for the industry and certainly somebody that I look up to and appreciate all the energy that he puts out there into the world. And so he was actually in Australia when we chatted with him, but we have a new, a new segment coming up, which we'll get into here next called the hemp passport segment. So really here at the 422 and let's talk hemp, we're taking it international. We're bringing more global leaders, technology and markets to the podcast and that's all under the hemp passport segment so every couple of segments we'll have interviews with people internationally to talk about what they're doing their technology and what they have going on all around the world so um, with that let's get into the next segment our new segment called the hemp passport international perspectives from a first-hand experience hemp passport international perspectives from first-hand experiences this segment is brought to you by the hemp road trip bringing home over a half a decade of experience and international travel to over six continents. Today, we hear from Oliver Zugel regarding Colombia and Tommy Prendergast from the UK. Hey, this is Rick Trojan with Let's Talk Hemp and the 422. I'm talking with Oliver Zugel, who is the CEO and founder of FolioMed, which is a producer of cannabis ingredients and medical products out of Colombia, or their productions out of Colombia. Oliver, how are you doing, man? I'm very well. Thanks for having me. Yes, thanks for joining us. It was great to uh, to meet you over over in Birmingham, the UK, a couple weeks back. But let's get right into what's happening in Colombia. So where are we at with medical cannabis in Colombia? Well, as you know, uh, Colombia has received a pretty massive amount of investments over the last couple of years in the order of $400 million plus. Uh, it has become the largest sector attracting foreign direct investment in the country. And that was based on what we consider to be a pretty sensible and forward-looking regulatory framework. Most assets are now in place, particularly on cultivation and extraction. And the first exports have taken place. About 50 shipments have been made. And having said that, I think 2020 will be the year of the proof of the pudding for the industry with regards to its commercial viability. We all know that our production costs on an international scale 
are very low. But what needs to be proven is that that product successfully can be inserted, whether it's hemp or THC, derived successfully inserted into an international supply chain. First, initial indications are positive, particularly on the hemp side. I think everything which has happened until now is hemp-related. THC remains to be seen. It has a longer regulatory pathway. But 2020 is really when the guys who have made the investments will need to prove that there's a commercially viable business model behind it. So it's interesting when we're talking about, so typically we talk about medical and recreational on the THC side, and then hemp as a separate as a separate uh, category. But what you're talking about, right, and what Foliomed does is they, they create medical solutions from industrial hemp, correct? So to be precise, first of all, there is no recreational market, neither anywhere in, in Latin America, nor at this point in time in a regulated way in Europe. So recreational THC, really outside of North America is a bit of an oversight for now. So that market is not addressable. So so let's leave that aside. And then I split it into two markets. One is a medical market, which I, from my perspective, consider to be a doctor-prescribed market. And that we are in through a German pharmaceutical joint venture. So we're not producing the medical product in Colombia. We just provide the ingredients to the pharmaceutical producer. So that's medical. And then on the hemp, the health and wellness side of things, that's very similar to what you would have in North America. Fundamentally, ingredients and your finished consumer products ranging from oils, tincture, and yet the myriad of other product forms you see today in, on the CBD brand side. Gotcha. So, okay. So that can give us an overview of the cannabis cultivation and market. And it sounds like what's happening is they're growing fantastic cannabis, hemp cannabis for medical purposes for you guys in Germany, for your partnership in Germany, which is amazing. Let's get into what do you think is the largest obstacle facing the industry right now? So I think given that hemp is being very cost effectively being produced in the United States and will be very cost effectively produced in the medium term, I would think the next couple of years in China, you know, we at least believe that the real opportunity is in providing ingredients into the medical markets and medical markets, again, as definition, being products which ultimately are doctor-prescribed and therefore are regulated as medicines, whether that's in Australia and Germany and the UK and other European markets. That's where we think, actually, the, the opportunity sits as opposed to large-scale hemp production, which I think other people will be able to do as well. And on the medical side of things, the largest obstacle and barrier to entry is that you need to have pharma-grade manufacturing capability what we call EU GMP, so good manufacturing practice, which is mm-hmm. certified by the European authorities. And you need that for most export markets when you go medical. And that does require a very complex and difficult to establish pharmaceutical quality management system, which is well beyond of what we see in most of the North American markets. In Canada, you may know there are only half a dozen of producers who have managed to produce flowers to EU GMP standards. So we feel this is a good thing, but at the same time, it's a very difficult thing to do. And and you, and you cannot just put money in to make it happen. It's fundamentally a people management challenge and mm. therefore takes some time. It's a big obstacle, but at the same time, I think it will you know, help create an industry structure where there will be, I think in my mind, in Colombia, less than half a dozen of companies who are able to make, to make that. On that level of, of regulation. Yeah. Correct. EUG, yeah, to that level. Yeah. EUG, on a level of, of good manufacturing capability. It's a hard thing. Okay. Uh, yes, you, for you sure. Really, 
need to manage the quality process starting at the seed, going all the way through the production process, its hygiene, its manufacturing standards. You know, is doable, but uh, you, know, you need to know what you're doing. For sure. Yeah, that separates the professional from the mom and pops, for sure. And then, Oliver, what's your favorite? I know you've been all over the world doing all sorts of amazing things, but what's your favorite hemp product? What do you use now or what, what do you like? Yeah, so I, I personally am using full-spectrum tinctures to aid you know, with uh, sleep and relaxation. I am a little bit uh, skeptical about you know, many of the other product forms which we have around on a regulated basis. Again, probably I'm a bit biased on this because I look at the industry from a medical perspective. And so I see a lot of products out there you know, who are not regulated as a medicine, but people actually want to use them as a medicine, to want to have them for pain and, and other uh, things. So, so I'm quite picky with regards to what I use. And yeah, what I do use is, is as I said, a, a full-spectrum uh, oil, which I fundamentally take at night time. And it helps with what, sleeping and, and relaxation? Yes. You? Yeah. Fantastic. Well, fantastic. Well, Oliver, appreciate you coming on and giving us a kind of 411 about what's happening in Colombia. Again, this is Oliver Zugel, the CEO and founder of FolioMed, uh, which is operations cultivation in, in Colombia and operations in, in Germany. So, Oliver, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Was good having you. Thank you for having me there. Appreciate you. This is Rick Trojan with the Let's Talk Hemp and the 422, talking with the amazing Tommy Prendergast from the organizer of the Hemp and CBD Expo in Birmingham, UK. He's also the director of Hemp and CBD Media. Tommy, how are you doing, brother? I'm good. Thank you very much. Good, good. Uh, this conference you just had this uh, last spring, you got in right before Corona came. So congrats. That was a, a great show. Um, Thank we'll you. Yeah. Some of the craziness here in a bit, but let's get right into yeah. it. Let's talk about cannabis in the uk i know we have the brexit issue so it's not necessarily the same as the eu mm -hmm. so where mm -hmm. are we at with medical cannabis in the, in the united kingdom well the medical cannabis it was um obviously it was made you know uh, legal to prescribe but at, at the at the same time that was uh, a lot of the population saw that as a bit of a, a bit of a dog and pony show as we say where you know they made it accessible but not really accessible because we don't have enough doctors over here to be prescribing it um they don't have enough experience and obviously if they'd had any experience in it they would have been breaking the law prior to that by having all their research done on, on cannabis we seem pretty reluctant to let you know foreign doctors over here to help us with that and that's also something that we're we're looking at sort of getting over to the government is we need to be training doctors and so at the minute yes you can I, I think they've approved one or two different forms of cannabis prescriptions but they are mainly just towards people with epilepsy multiple sclerosis in, in severe cases but it's still unaffordable it still takes a long time to access and they've just recently I think Priti Patel who is who is overseeing this this area she has made it they've loosened up the the laws to get this in um so that it's accessible within a few days if you've got the prescription as opposed to what before was a few months so i think we're making strides but we obviously have a, a long way to go but we it is good to see that you know maybe a, a few years back no one would have even known how long we would have taken to get to this point so definitely making baby steps yeah, so and actually I met uh, at uh, your, your Hemp and CBD Expo in Birmingham uh, mm -hmm. a couple of weeks back, met 
Hannah, and she told me about her son Alfie, who had yep. the first and the only person I think, or one of one of two, to have an actual national health and test prescription yeah. for cannabis. Yeah. So that's pretty pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah, um, and, and that was uh, I was just going to say that that was really good because you know that was Alfie in his case, and 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 Hannah, she does a lot of work. She's a really great person to to talk to to know sort of from the, the the patient side of things, you know, what is exactly going on over here. Uh, and she does a lot of campaigning and, and work with the medical, medical cannabis clinician society partners of ours that deal with training doctors. And she is that, that case was pretty much the one that sort of knocked on the door for the last time for the government to, to approve medical cannabis. So we just need a lot more of these cases to be sort of springing up and people to be doing knocking on the government's door and saying, we, we need more from you. So, yeah, and yep, sure. a great lady. Perfect. Where are we at? Let's move on to the adult use, or we call it recreational here, or adult use cannabis. So high mm-hmm. THC, not for medical, not for medical use. Where is the UK uh, at? I mean, yeah, this is the thing. Is is at the moment I, I talk to and deal with a lot of the activists because I, I invite them to our show. I think they're just as important as having companies uh, exhibiting there and. And to find out like the different ways that they're trying to tackle it. Currently, obviously, it's not legal for recreational use. And we, I think the timeline seems to be coming down again. We're making steps in the right direction where we will probably see a full legalization of some kind within the next even maybe two to three years, which I think... Peter Reynolds uh, of Canapro, who's, who's been in the industry for a long time, he he feels like he's been saying it's five years away for a long time. And I think a lot of us feel that way where we just say, oh, yeah, well, within the next five years. And, and you know, five years later, we're saying, yeah, it'll probably be within the next five years. But I think that sort of gap is now steadily decreasing. I think we should probably see something happening there. And and obviously with my show, for instance, the Hemp and CBD Expo, it's it's a case of we're looking to be in the game and, and continue through this difficult period and, and obviously be promoting the legal side of the industry at the moment in the form of, you know, low THC, you know, CBD products, et cetera, and what's legally allowed on the market until the time where we have uh, the recreational use uh, approved. So just watch your space as, as, as usual. <laughs> It's, uh, I mean, we've been saying that here for a while in the States. I mean, we have, I think, 32 states now have it legal. 37 have it legal across the board, and then I think 9 are record. We're moving slow as well. But let's move to the, the, the I think, the, the fun part of it, the industrial hemp, the industrial cannabis. Um, where is the UK? Is it allowed to be cultivated, sold, the UD, or anything like so that's really interesting and and that's sort of like the part that probably interests me the most as, as well is sort of like what we can be doing to practically use hemp and the kind of sort of like the way that we can get it, the industry involved in this we have for instance you are allowed to grow hemp in the UK and you can obtain a license for this but you're not allowed to cultivate and that is that is the problem at the moment we actually have one of our exhibitors hempin we have a, a great YouTube video where we go and interview the guys at Hempen. They earlier in 2019, they had to destroy over 200 grand's worth of of their crop after messing up on on some of the the license that they had, and they misunderstood it. They they were cultivating as well, and technically they were they were breaking a law there. But the 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 problem for them is the communication is just so sort of like there's such a backlog and, and there's no one really on this keeping an eye on it so when you're trying to communicate with the, the home office on it for instance or you know it's it's not controlled by defra which control most other agriculture areas in the uk for, for farmers 
we're not getting the support and the communication that you need and therefore people still are having problems and they're having problems getting farmers you know in, involved in in growing hemp when people like uh, Rebecca Shaman who's a lovely lady at the British Hemp Association she's you know constantly dealing with this battle of trying to get farmers to get involved without seeing all of these hurdles they need to meet before they can you know to figure out where their profits are going to come from but I think that's something that, again, we're making movement on. I speak closely with, with Colin Morgan from ADAS, uh, which is another top company that's, that's all involved in the farming and agriculture section. And it, we're just trying to streamline the process and, and try and let, it, let the farmers see what the possibilities are. But I think the main problem there with, with the industrial hemp side is the fact that we need to see a demand. And, and everyone needs to see the demand because there's no point growing it if we're not going to be utilizing it and so where is that coming from that is sort of you know can we get industry involved in saying listen there is a demand for people that would buy products made from hemp you can be putting out in your in your marketing campaigns and your adverts that you are thinking about the environment that you are thinking about you know all these other ways of of you know going green etc and it's who who's going to be the big boys that are going to jump on that and sort of open up the demand so that the the, the demand the consumers so the farmers can then go right okay well we've got something to grow for and that's that's the biggest challenge i think when it comes to that I, here's an example i've got you know over 100 exhibitors that, that come and exhibit at my expo now all of them have marketing and branding and, and merchandise now all of them would love to be having all of their merchandise on on hemp clothing right However, in a practical way of looking at things, it's going to cost you in the UK about, I don't know, £14 odd to, to get like a, a blank sort of like hemp shirt made. Uh, that's before you go and get it printed or, or, or put your logos on, etc. Now, you can be getting those shirts for £2 if they're made of cottons or, or anything else. And you can get them from China or whatnot, £2 and, and you're done per shirt. If you're going to take £2 to £14 and that's your kind of gap to actually get your blank shirts in before you do a merch range, then why are you going to do it? But bearing in mind that a lot of this merch and everything is given away for free or pro promotional aspects. But if I had all my exhibitors at the show say, we all would commit to doing merchandise on hemp clothing, if we could all put in together and get sort of like, you know, where's the order coming from? Where's the quantity coming from that brings the price down? That's the really interesting thing for me because I hear a lot of people talk about wanting to do it. But then if that's all little cases that aren't get heard collectively that could then be saying to people, oh, right, well, there's a lot of companies that be doing that, uh, that are interested in doing that. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think for sure, I think shirts, I mean, we can get shirts down from the business at a higher price. Um, mm -hmm. But it's, again, different. you're buying different value, right? So as a hemp company, right, I don't really never buy a hemp or a cotton t-shirt, but that's just my own, but I but I see the value of it, having that shirt. Giving it away, yeah. there's different different value at the marketing spend versus the actual. Active, Absolutely, right? so, but that's where, yeah. that's where the bulk of the demand is in people do these marketing and they do, you know, you see all over the place in all sorts of different in, industries. You, get, you go to a trade show, you go to here and you get a free hat, you get a free shirt with that, or you get, you know, and all of that is, it's way too costly to, to do it with hemp at the moment. I have a couple of exhibitors they're at my show this time, Laura Barton from Cultivate Clothing, and she's constantly yep. dealing with that because, you know, I went to actually go and look for a few shirts to buy the other day, and I was going, oh, well, let's, let's look and see what the prices are on a hemp shirt or something, and, you know, it's everything's starting at 50 quid, you know, and you get those shirts for 
15 pounds if they're not hemp and it's like who who's gonna this is where where i would really like to see someone sort of take this on and some of those bigger companies to say listen if we're using hemp and we are you know creating sort of like a demand for the farmers we can actually be contributing to you know obviously more economical efficient sorry eco-friendly environment for us you know and we can and, and all the things that you know that i won't go into as far as planting hemp as opposed to cutting down trees it would be great and what company is going to do that and then bang on their tagline for you know we're we're thinking green and and, and we're thinking about you know industry and, and the economy and we're gonna we're gonna start encouraging all of our stuff is going to be made from hemp now it's like someone can do it and, and someone will get a lot of customers coming over to them going do you know what that's really that's really smart, but it's going to be costly in, if you're one of the first people to do it, you know, if, yep. if there's not yeah. enough supply there. Yeah, I mean, so, it becomes a decision, I think, at the end of the day, right? So, yeah, you, you'd want like a Richard Branson or someone. We got a little bit. We got some medical rights going from Schedule 1 to Schedule 2. Mm-hmm. A couple of prescriptions mm-hmm. there in the UK. Recreational, it's five years out, which it's been for the last 80 years. Maybe um, maybe sooner than that, I would say, but who knows? I wouldn't okay. be surprised. If it's- <laughs> uh, and on hemp, we have uh, it's it's legal, but it's so there's some issues. It's CBD is 0.2 percent THC is the yep. threshold. So lots of stuff happening in the UK. Lots of work to be done. Let's get into yep. uh, the final three questions here, bud. Um, okay. What do you think is the largest obstacle facing the UK right now? What's what's stopping you guys from moving forward? In what area are we talking? Are we talking legalization uh, and utilization? Okay, biggest area, biggest challenge is public perception, and that's going really well at the moment. The sooner the public change their minds about, you know, what hemp is and and not turning their nose up at cannabis, the the better, and the government will hear that. Cool. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. I think it's great. Then let's talk about what's your favorite hemp product? A really, really weird answer. It's hemp soap. It's just done wonders for my skin, and I started using it a, a while ago, and it's gone great. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of a weird answer a little bit, but it's also once you use hemp soap, you get it, right? So it's, like, it's, I get Your body it. just feels different. Your skin feels different. I, I got some off a Romanian exhibitor at my first show, and I've just been using that since. And my skin just feels fresher. <laughs> yeah, like a little bit, I'll go to hotels, and I don't like all of their conditioner and soap and all that shit never gets used. Yep. And I just bring I, my I, own broader I travel soap. around Europe, and whenever I go away in Europe to a show, it's sort of like I have to use the hotel soaps and everything, and my skin just gets so itchy. So I always have to take hemp soap with me when I'm, I'm traveling to the other shows around around Europe. Ah, we're so spoiled, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, fantastic. Well, awesome, man. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, again, this is Tommy Prindergast from the director of the Hemp CBD Media and the organizer of Hemp and CBD Expo. So thanks for joining yeah, yeah. us. I appreciate uh, the perspective. No worries. And thanks for coming over, Rick. We'll definitely be having you back. Cool. Thanks, brother. We'll talk soon. All of us from the WAFPA family of brands in the Hemp Road Trip would like to send positive energy to our fellow humans and many other inhabitants of Earth as we start the shift to a heightened consciousness and caring for the planet and each other better than we have in the past. All right, great wrap-up of the Passport segment, what's going on in Colombia and what's going on in the UK in regards to cannabis, uh, medical, recreational, and as Oliver said, on the hemp side as well. So lots of good stuff happening internationally. We have a lot of cool stuff coming up uh, while the corona hysteria is happening. We are looking at doing 
on the road to NOCO, which is coming up here in August. But on that road to NOCO, we're going to be doing a virtual conference. Mo, tell us about that. Correct. So we are going to be doing a conference at the end of April. We're going to call it the NOCO Hemp Expo Earth Week Virtual Conference and Trade Show. And we're launching this on the 422, April 22nd, which is the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. And we're still figuring out the exact process and platform how we're going to do this, but it's going to be an online gathering place in the cloud where we want to pull up all of our exhibitors, our sponsors, a lot of our speakers, and have an online gathering place so we can continue the conversation about hemp and make sure that all the appropriate information that people need to know at this point in time for the industry from USDA, FDA, genetics, the market, the pricing, all of that, that the information's getting out there. So we're putting that together and more information will be available at nocohempexpo.com in the coming week. Yeah, and I think that that's a great way to do it. The road to NOCO, just, you, you know, it's, it's a little bit longer than it was going, pushing back to August, but place, it's going to be the same location. We have very similar speakers. We'll have some new faces come in too, but we're going to have, again, Miss Universe Canada confirmed for the Hemp Fashion Show. Truly going to be a, a world-class event. Uh, we have a couple more months for some some more build-out and some new things, but uh, it's going to be a great event coming up in August. Yep, exactly. We're, we're definitely looking forward to it. So moving on, it seems that you have a new job title as the interim president of HIA, and there's also a new executive board coming. So best of luck to everybody in the Hemp Industries Association for all the new personnel getting involved and the new direction of the organization. Thank you, brother. Yeah, super exciting. We're, uh, we're you know, it's time for, HIA has been around for so long, for almost 30 years now, really fighting to legalize this plant. And now that it's become legal, we need some new direction to help all the industries across the board. So we're not just CBD focused, not just fiber focused, but our grain focused. Obviously, we've had lawsuits with the government on the grain side for a while, but we are now focused on all the industries and really helping those, helping hemp assimilate into the system where it can and then change the system where it, where it needs to. So really excited. We have a great board, a lot of new faces. We've got a couple of new folks coming in. So we're, uh, we're excited for the new executive committee and getting things moving. And you'll be hearing a lot more from HIA here shortly. So just like you'll be hearing a lot more from the Let's Talk Hemp and the 422 podcast, because we are going to get on a consistent schedule of two times a month. Every other Wednesday is what we're looking at, uh, with the first one dropping, like we said, the end of March. Uh, and then we'll have a couple down to ending right around NOCO here in, Col- in Colorado. So we'll have a, a pregame uh, warm-up uh, the week before NOCO. And then actually the week after, we will have a follow-up. So lots of cool stuff. And before we leave you with, with that cool stuff, we also want to leave you with some hope and some optimism in this time of craziness and hysteria. Uh, and Mo has some good takeaways from what we can do as we take this time to reconnect with loved ones. Uh, learn to enjoy our silence, right? Meditate with our newfound time. I know that's going to be an issue for a lot of people is that there's a lot of time on our hands locked up in a, in a house or in an area. Uh, and really, if you have a chance to get outside and enjoy some sunshine and the company of, again, 10 people or less, if you believe in the government. So uh, there's also some upside, Mo, with this stuff you were telling me before we got on the call with Mother Earth. So we're helping Mother Earth out with this uh, this pandemic. Yeah, since everything kind of shut down in China, all the factories and travel and and now stuff shutting down all over the planet, the CO2 emissions and pollution situation seem to be 
in much better shape now than they have been in decades, according to shots that we've seen from NASA that are out there. So if nothing else, Mother Earth is getting a breather. And it's probably a time for all of us just to reflect a little bit and look at how we interact with the Earth and can we bring balance back between humanity and our society and our species with the earth? Because I think she's been getting a little bit aggravated with us. And and maybe this is just a, a sign that, Hey, we need to chill out, treat each other nicely, be kind to each other and more so be kind to the earth. Yeah. And, and do something nice for someone today and give them a roll of toilet paper. Cause that seems to be a thing. Or hand sanitizer. But give them something. Give them hope. Would you you would sanitize your hands after the toilet paper, I'd imagine, right? That would be the order of operation? Generally, yes. Yeah. Fair enough. All right. Yeah, it's good to be back. And let's this time, as we've said the last two seasons, we're gonna be consistent. But this time we're gonna be consistent. Yes. Mainly because we have Corona and we have our house to sit in. And so there's some consistency to be had. Exactly. We're self-quarantined for (laughs) season three. Take care, everybody. The best way you can support the show is to share this with your family, friends, and colleagues. Don't miss the opportunity to learn more about this podcast at letstalkhemp.com. And if you enjoyed the show, feel free to subscribe and leave us an iTunes review. Thanks for listening. See ya. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Joyce Gerber, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast, The Canna Mom Show. And we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on this industry as business professionals, healthcare providers, policy advocates, caregivers, moms, by sharing and preserving their stories of love and kindness, wisdom, and hope. I am so grateful to have found my tribe of Canada podcasters right here on PodConnex and look forward to our work of crushing the stigma around cannabis and caregivers and building this new industry together.